What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. On the line with us is Professor Richard Wolff, the economist, co-founder of democracyatwork.info, author of numerous books, his latest, Understanding Socialism, rdwolf.com, with two Fs is another of his websites. Prof Wolf, P-R-O-F-W-O-L-F-F, is his Twitter handle. This piece in Huffington Post, Federal Regulators Are Mortgaging the Country to Wall Street, is pretty shocking. I know you've read it. Uh, nearly 300 pages of loopholes and exemptions to the Volcker Rule and Dodd-Frank. Translate this into English for us. What does this mean? Think of it as a kind of replay of history. A bad story, not taken seriously, and so it comes back to bite us again. Let me explain. Okay. In the depths of the Great Depression, back in the 1930s, a banking bill was finally pushed through Congress. And it was designed to reduce the systemic risk of the, that came from the fact that banks had been free to take the money of their depositors and not merely hold it and keep accounts for them, but in fact to speculate with other people's money. And it was felt that that had contributed to the breakdown in 1929 and the horrible Great Depression. So the Banking Act, passed in the 30s, created a wall. It was called a wall of separation. Two kinds of banks, a commercial bank that simply took deposits and made short-term loans to businesses versus an investment bank, a completely different thing that did not take deposits and that could go out and speculate, but with money that people gave it for that purpose. And that was felt to be a useful wall of separation. Immediately when the bill was passed, it was opposed by the banking industry. They went to work to evade it. After a while, they weakened it. And in the 1990s, they felt strong enough to make a frontal assault, and they got the bill. It was called Glass-Steagall after the people in the Senate and the House who had pushed it through. They got it repealed, and Bill Clinton, as president, signed the repeal. Okay, fast forward. That happened, by the way, at the end of the 1990s. By 2008, everything that we had predicted happened. By having ended the controls and the regulations that had been passed, we had another doozy collapse. In the aftermath of that, here comes the repetition of history. 
We had the Dodd-Frank bill that put a number of weak controls and regulations on the banks again, and for the same reason, namely that they had contributed to the chaos of 2008. And again, the banks opposed it. And when they couldn't block it, they went to work to weaken it and stall it and evade it, which they did until this last week, when they finally succeeded with a pliant Trump administration to get several of the key and the only few remaining limits on the bank to be relaxed. It's roughly the equivalent of canceling Glass-Steagall back in the 1990s. It's a horrible rerun. It allows the banks here at a very dangerous time to take much more risk than they had been allowed to take before. And you have to shake your head at a system so dependent on private capitalist banks that even when they do the worst kind of disaster, illegal, unethical, speculative, they are powerful enough to get a pliant political system to take away the few constraints that their terrible performance uh, put on them in the heat of the breakdowns. Yeah, it is, it is uh, pretty breathtaking. What does this mean for the average American who has their money in the bank or has a certificate of a deposit or, or uh, you know, needs a bank to get access to their paychecks? Well, what it's doing is it's telling them, if they pay attention, that the level of risk that they are undertaking when they interact with banks is now much higher than it was a week ago. The banks are now able to do things, speculative things, risky things, that they had been limited or blocked from doing before. Nobody says anything. No one's going to pay you a nickel more to hold your money. It's just that the banks are now free to take more risk. That's always been their position. They do not want their risks limited. They want the bailout when the risks they take don't work out. We have that unspeakable arrangement in this country where the bankers insist they're efficient and they're the best risk takers. And then every time when they really mess up, we are all on the hook to bail them out. And here you have, again, more and more risk. And by the way, the difference is we are now at a very, very dangerous time throughout the world partly because of the global crash of capitalism and partly because of the pandemic. So it would be a time when you would probably, if you are half rational, want there to be less risk. But no, the banks have their own agenda. This is good for their bottom line. Uh, their literature is full of that. They don't even hide it. That's what they want. You know, we live in a time when this system is breaking down, and it's every institution for itself. The banks saw a chance with Trump and with uh, the Democrats unwilling to be really oppositional to get this kind of thing done, and so they, they went for it. And that's, we're all going to live with the extra risk, and then when it crashes next time again, we will hear all the moaning and wailing, and whatever the next wave is, will once again put on a reform which the banking sector will try to stop, and if it can't stop it, it will follow by evading it, then weakening it, and when they can get it done, 
get rid of it, which is what they did again last week. So would be would people be advised to put their money in in um, credit unions and uh, locally owned banks, small banks that, that don't engage in this kind of speculation as opposed to the big national banks? Is that and does the FDIC protect uh, investors any longer? The credit union is always more cautious than any bank, small, medium or large. So if you want caution, then the credit union. But remember, we are living in a time of enormous unemployment and many credit unions have loans out to people who cannot pay them back and the danger for credit unions is also there you might have a bit less of a speculative risk but you are now more in danger of the more systemic collapse coming and biting you that way small banks are so locked into big banks that you don't get much more safety from them because of their interdependence with the big ones. So I think you have to face the fact that this is a banking system that plays the game with politics. They take risks as much as they can, and if they want to make more money and take bigger risks, they just have to go to the political leadership and get that done. That's what they did this week. There's really very, very little that we as as a people can do about it. Individually escaping from this, I wish there were some mechanism, some little nostrum, some advice I could give you. But I hate to do this, but the only honest answer about that is you've got to change this system. I mean, let me underscore it another way, Tom. Everything is breaking down because the tenants aren't paying the the rents and the, the landlords aren't paying back their loans. It's kind of everybody for themselves. And in that situation, whatever the system offered before in the way of orderliness, even that is now being taken away. Professor Richard Wolf, rdwolf.com, and democracyatwork.info, and Prof. Wolf over on Twitter. Professor, thank you. Tom Harmon here with you. Tim in Fountain Hills, Arizona. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. I was calling to pick your brain a little bit about how many periods in this country have we, the people, actually been the number one owner of the country as opposed to what I see as the baseline where the oligarchs rule the country. And what do you think our odds are in this particular four-turning crisis era for actually we the people regaining and passing the laws to maintain our control of the country? Tim, I think that you know you invoked the fourth turning uh, book by Strauss and Howe about how every 80 years the country kind of reboots itself after going through a horrible crisis. And I think that that's exactly what's going on right now. I wrote a book about this predicting it would happen in 2016, the crash of 2016. You know, I was four years too early, but, you know, we shouldn't have used the uh, date in the title because the book's out of print now, but it just lays out what's going on. And in that book, I even said, you know, this could be precipitated by a black swan event, which is what we're seeing. I'm actually very optimistic. I think that this, the Trump presidency and the oligarch, the billionaire takeover of our entire political system and now our court system is going to backfire as it did 80 years ago, as it did 80 years before that, and as it did when the British did it 80 years before that. So uh, I'm pretty hopeful. I'm not 
one of those who uh, is particularly frightened. The one thing that does concern me is that if Trump uses something like the 12th Amendment to stay in the White House, that will be the thing that interrupts the cycle. That'll be the thing that brings the whole country down. Billionaire Donald Trump has killed over 130,000 Americans. We're on course to have three, well, depending on whose model you're looking at, some of the models say we've already passed three million, three million people infected with this disease here in the United States. Canada, which is a country that's not run by billionaires, instead it's run by competent leaders and actual civil servants at both the provincial and the federal level, largely has this coronavirus under control. I mean, you look at the maps of North America, it's absolutely shocking. You know, America, the the United States is like bright red. Canada's got a couple little dots. Mexico's got a few dots. Canada's closed their border to us. No, we don't want you here. Thank you very much. The Guardian newspaper is reporting today about how Mexican border towns are asking Americans not to come for fear of bringing the coronavirus there. Parts of California right now are experiencing a surge in coronavirus infections, but they can't do testing because they've run out of reagents. Our billionaire-led federal government, of course, has refused to invoke the Defense Production Act to make reagents and testing kits. The billionaire running our education department, Betsy DeVos, she's trying to force teachers back to work and into classrooms nationwide, regardless of their age or their health, and regardless of the consequences of school children bringing this disease home with them. Tell me again why it was so important to get Paul Manafort out of prison. Yes, he's out of prison right now because the coronavirus is so dangerous, but we've got to send our kids into, into packed classrooms? What am I missing here? The billionaire Trump chose to run our Commerce Department, Wilbur Ross. He says that the coronavirus spreading in China will be good for the American economy. Over at Popular.info, Judd Legum's popular information newsletter is reporting that billionaire-led Facebook is spreading far and wide the nonsense story that if you wear a mask, you might suffer from an oxygen deficiency. Honest to God. Billionaire Rupert Murdoch's Fox News is relentlessly promoting the defiance of reasonable public health measures leading to an explosion of hospitalizations and deaths in those areas where Fox News is popular, particularly the South and Southwest. Arizona, where the governor is deeply in the pockets of billionaire interests, has now declared that some people are going to get treatment and others won't. Depending on a complicated formula about who's most likely to live the most years after they leave the hospital. Seriously. Multiple billionaires and their companies, it turns out, have gotten huge piles of cash from all this money that Congress appropriated to help small businesses and average working people through the economic crisis. You know, back in 2000, when George W. Bush lost the election by a half million votes, but the Supreme Court put him in the White House anyway, the media was celebrating the fact that Bush and Dick Cheney were both oil industry executives. They, they talked about how a CEO presidency was going to be just what America needed. Yeah, it didn't work out that way. Instead, they lied us into two wars and they transferred trillions of dollars out of the pockets of working people, into the pockets of billionaires, um, not to mention the trillions of dollars in billionaire tax cuts. And with their torture policies and their, and their war policies, they destroyed our reputation around the world. 
and destroyed our credibility. And frankly, with the Patriot Act and all this other stuff, all this this giant executive power grab to keep us safe from those evil Muslim terrorists, they set the stage for what Donald Trump is doing right now. But the bottom line here is that billionaires and the super rich have spent the last 40 years, ever since the Reagan revolution, which we are still in right now, billionaires and the super rich have been telling us that America will be wonderful if you just let super rich people run the country. Just let a billionaire run the, you know, all the social media, you know, make that all billionaire controlled, search engines billionaire controlled, government billionaire, you know, get a president as billionaire, get, get a secretary of education a billionaire, get a get secretary of commerce a billionaire, find a few other billionaires to, you know, down in Florida to run the Veterans Administration. To, Actually, they might just be multimillionaires to run the VA secretly out of Mar-a-Lago. Honest to God, that's going on. Google it. That's not called democracy. It's called oligarchy. And now we've seen 40 years of oligarchy. And how are we doing? Until we get money out of politics, until we can return competent leadership at all levels of our government, and get this corrupting cash out of politics, Americans are going to continue to die in numbers, in, I mean, mind-boggling numbers. More Americans have died of coronavirus than have died in every war we've fought since 1946 combined. Korea, Vietnam, Libya, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, I mean, you name it, Grenada. Here we are. And make no mistake, this big con that these billionaires have been running since the Reagan revolution is very intentional. The Pew organization started doing polling of trust in America. Do you trust your government to do the right thing? Was the simple question. They started this in 1958. Through the three years of the Kennedy presidency, through the five years of the LBJ presidency, until the war in Vietnam started cranking up, it was around 75% of Americans said, yes, I trust my government to do the right thing. The Vietnam War obviously dented that a little bit. Right now, the percentage of Americans who say they trust their government, 17%. Why is that? Well, you know, if you're a fossil fuel billionaire who inherited an oil and refining empire from your daddy, and you want to make more money by pumping poisons into the air, then tell people not to trust the government that regulates the poisons in the air. Right? If you're a billionaire who's got all, all kinds of different companies, you've diversified your industries like crazy, and you can get rid of unions and have your people work for less money and, and more fear, you make more money. Right? Because the government won't protect their right to unionize. I mean, if you run a pipeline across sacred Native American land over a major American aquifer without safety oversight, you make more money. This is, you know, essentially a long con. By the way, the, the long con, there's an article over at uh, Raw Story about this right now, blowing the lid off the billionaire's big con and its deadly consequences. The thing about billionaires running our government, you can find over on Common Dreams and BuzzFlash.com. But I'm telling you, until we get money out of politics, this has to be job one. Until we get money out of politics, we're going to be stuck with billionaire rule, and that is not democracy.
Eddie in St. Joseph, Missouri, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Eddie, what's on your mind today? You know, everybody says follow the money. I say follow what would Putin want to be going on right now. I mean, it seems like everything from this problem people have with race to the problem we have with this virus that came over here. I mean, it seems like this person, I think maybe ought to be referred to as Putin's punk, because he seems Mm -hmm. to be doing everything that Putin would want to happen in this country. There is no PPE because the federal government is preventing it from happening. He says he's a wartime president. Well, I'm sure glad they're not firing. But, well, technically, we're kind of getting fired with bullets, freaking viruses. And this guy is doing nothing. And I think oh, our soldiers are getting it. fired, shot, shot with bullets in Afghanistan. Uh, Eddie, I, I don't disagree with your assessment at all. I would broaden it, though. I don't think that this is just Vladimir Putin or Russia or Russian oligarchs. There is a battle going on right now. I mean, we were very clear about this during the Cold War. It's capitalism versus communism. It's democracy versus the Soviet socialism. It's a clash of two systems. Well, there's a clash of two systems going on right now. It's the system of oligarchy where very wealthy people, usually very heavily criminally connected wealthy people, whether it's in Russia, the Philippines, Israel, Saudi Arabia, I mean, pick your country, right, that, that, that is run by oligarchs or run by corrupt strongmen, you know, in the case of Israel, Netanyahu, in the United States, it's Trump, Philippines, Duterte, versus liberal democracies, you know, classic democracies, the countries of Western Europe, for example. And I believe that the oligarchs are pouring money into social media and into bots to try to disrupt our country and destroy our form of government because they find democracy diminishes their profits and intimidates their power intimidates them, reduces their power. Yeah, but you see them doing that is going to destroy the world, so I don't know that we have enough time to let the voting process work. I mean, you're the historian. Is there a time when you say enough, and I'm not saying throw the baby out with the dishwater or whatever the heck, and I never understood that saying, but whatever. Do we have enough time to let the system that we've been working, I mean, good grief, how long did the women yeah. go to get the vote? And then, I mean, just what, today? Yeah, well, that was 150 I, years. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think that actually we have a little more time. I don't think that we have very much more time. I really believe, I agree with Mary Trump. If Donald Trump is reelected, that's the end of democracy in America. I've been saying that for three and a half years now. And I really and truly believe it. I just finished writing a book about it, which will be out next spring, The Hidden History of Oligarchy and the Rise of Tyranny in America. So, you know, yeah, we've got to wake people the hell up, and soon. David in Greensprings, Mississippi. Hey, David, what's up? Trump's tweets in general. I don't really pay attention to them, but from what I hear from you saying, you know, there's a lot of code words in there. Obviously, there's a lot of falsehoods. It all seems like one big disinformation campaign, something that a military intelligence unit would run. Yeah. Well, this is where, I mean, you know, we had a caller earlier saying that basically what Trump is doing is fulfilling Putin's plan to destroy America. 
I don't think it's that simple. I think that there literally is an ideological war going on worldwide, um, just like there was during the Cold War. And, and, you know, I realize this may throw me into the kind of Francis Fukuyama neoconservative world that sees, you know, great empires clashing. But I really think this is what's going on. You've got the, the right-wing oligarchs around the world who are running countries as oligarchies and as kleptocracies, and they are at war with the very concept of democracy. And the extent to which America you know, stands for democracy or historically has stood for democracy is the extent to which we needed to be taken down. And they did it. For three and a half years, we have not defended democracy anywhere in the world, and we have openly embraced autocracy. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's just doing everything that, you know, has been done underneath. Now he's just bringing it up to the forefront because, well, I guess he can. You know, there's no one seems to want to challenge him on a level to do that. Obviously, that's why he's aligning himself with the bikers and the right wing people who always also want to take out the government. Yeah, Khrushchev said, we will bury you. And he was speaking of our economic system and our political system. And and I think that Trump is finishing the job. Martin, thank you for the call. David in uh, Torrance, California. Hey, David, what's up? Yes, thank you for taking my call. In the last 48 hours, uh, I'm hearing two major uh, oil pipeline projects has been cancer pulled out by investors. That's right. I think uh, this is an indication that uh, these investors, they don't think this administration is going to last uh, and their pretty sure future administration is not going to be as helpful as, as that's this the speculation. Yeah, that's the speculation. Yeah. Combined with the fact that the demand for oil right now and, and natural gas is at an all-time low. Those two things together. I don't think that they're abandoning these plans. I think that they're putting them on hold, although the language that I'm reading in the press suggests they're abandoning them, but they can pick them up anytime in the future. Thank you. I very much agree. I think this this is what's going on. In fact, there have been several good articles in the Financial Times over the last week or so, maybe the last two weeks, about how a number of big businesses, some of the most monopolistic companies in the United States and some of the most toxic companies in the United States are doing their internal planning on the assumption that Democrats are coming into office and they have to get ready for more regulation or for higher taxes. Not that that's going to hurt them or put them out of business. They simply do business differently in those kind of environments as they did under Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, who both raised taxes and increased regulation. And what happened? The economy boomed under Clinton and Obama. And then you bring in Trump and you bring in Bush and you cut taxes and you deregulate. And what happens? The economy collapses. Surprise, surprise. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro-kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple-glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. 
Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jeff, what's up? Of course, I hope you're right about Trump wanting to quit, but I don't think for a minute we can underestimate his desire to hold on to power and finish taking the sledgehammer to democratic institutions and democracy itself that he's been doing. Yeah, and I will say that's pretty telling. He so identifies with the Confederacy and its monuments, which represent a cruel, racist, treasonous regime of oligarchs who tried but failed to destroy America. But I know you also agree we can't let up till we put him on the losing side, just like his Confederate heroes. And Tom, in my opinion, besides promising a World War II response to the virus, we need Biden to run on ideas that unify our party. The Green New Deal, Medicare for All, Black Lives Matter, they all pull extremely high in our party, as does a wealth tax, and let's couple that with significant cuts to the military budget. And to those points, Tom, A, how do you feel about Barbara Lee as a VP? I think if we had a choice between her and Elizabeth Warren, we'll be in good shape. And B, you've been talking and writing a lot about a wealth tax. As we brace for a massive flood of evictions and more and more people tragically becoming homeless, what do you think would be an appropriate wealth tax? 
Well, first of all, we're all anybody who owns a home or rents a home is uh, or an apartment or whatever is paying a wealth tax every year in the form of property taxes. So, you know, working Americans, average Americans are paying a wealth tax every year. And sometimes it's substantial, five, six, seven percent of the value of their home, which is for most Americans, their their largest single assets. But, uh, you know, billionaires with money bins don't pay a penny in wealth tax. So, you know, I would say starting out at 1%, which I think is where Elizabeth Warren's proposal starts, maybe going to 2 or 3% annual wealth tax. On the flip side of that is I think we should do away with property taxes. We need to find a different way to fund local government. Ireland did away with property taxes years ago. Now, they have them back again, sadly. But during that time that they did away with them, people didn't lose their homes when they lost their jobs. So, you know, I, it's like I think we should be doing that. And what about at the high end? You know, I mean, Bernie wealth taxes is, is even more ambitious than Elizabeth, but it's still it's only eight percent of over ten billion dollars. I mean, you know, right. you've talked a lot about how we used to have like it up at ninety yeah. percent in the past. I mean, why not? Well, why I, not shoot yeah. for higher? Like I, I think so. And that's that, keep in mind that's a wealth tax and not an income tax. But you know, just the whole idea of taxing income and taxing real estate rather than taxing wealth, you know, has evolved over the last 100, 150 years in the United States as the way to do it. People of great wealth have had the largest say in making those decisions about how to do that. Many countries, many European countries in particular, have had wealth taxes for years. In fact, it's it's one of the reasons why some of the old castles and around the United Kingdom are, are for rent right now or for sale. As people's wealth collapses, they, you know, hey, let's get out of the business of owning castles and things. Jeff, I don't have an easier glib answer for you. I do think it's something we need to have a national debate about, though. And I think the beginning point for that debate is awakening Americans to the fact that average American working people, you know, about 60% of American families own the home in which they live. And they pay a wealth tax every year. And your average billionaire is paying, you know, yeah, they may pay property taxes on, you know, on their, on their mansions and things, but it's nothing compared to the, the vast majority of their wealth. So I think, you know, we need a wealth tax and that's a great place to begin the conversation. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Maine in Chicago. Hey, Maine, what's up? I just like to, I guess, rant on this thing about how we need to restrict and restrain capitalism and Mm -hmm. not allow it to privatize our democracy and to cause us to pay for our freedoms, you know, as a people that is claimed to be in a, a democracy or a democratic republic. You know, they want the capitalists expect us to pay for our freedoms because what they're after is profit over people. And we, as a a democracy, supposed to be people over profit. But we allow this capitalistic system to run our social system so that it's become money over people. And we have to get it back to the point where it's people... Well, I don't think it's ever been, but we have to get it to the point where it's people over money, over profits, because that's what a democracy is supposed to be all about. I completely agree with you, Maine. And, you know, I think that there have been periods in our history, probably most notably from the 40s to the to the uh, 80s, when people over profits was largely true of the white middle class. 
but large chunks of America were excluded from that, you know, African-Americans, Hispanics, women. And we have an opportunity now. I, I, you know, I think yeah. much like the opportunity that Franklin Roosevelt had to, as Thomas Paine said, to, to make the world anew, to reinvent, right. to it, reinvent democracy. Right. I just wanted to say, you know, we, we can expand these things. The capitalists and the oligarchs now are holding this country back to me when it comes to uh, free education and health care. The minds mm-hmm. that are being wasted, the knowledge that the people could have and how this country could grow. Like that Bible verse, my people are dying from the lack of knowledge. And here in Chicago, that is truly true. I mean, they're just shooting us and killing one another exponentially. Which is, by the way, a predictable consequence of poverty that is basically enforced and maintained by the system. I mean, you know, we see this throughout history. I mean, literally throughout like 8,000 years of history. Ancient Sumerian texts talking about, you know, crime among the poor. Gee, what a novel idea. We'll be right back. David in Green Springs, Mississippi. Hey, David, what's up? The ridiculous amount of bills that the hospitals are going to incur. Actually, who's going to pay for that? And also, uh, I think the Republicans are doing everything to raise the virus into a greater spread of the population. That'll give them tighter controls at election time. You know, I've heard that from a number of sources, and I can't dispute it. I think it's entirely possible. Trump is a big believer in chaos. And uh, the more chaos he can create, I think he believes that, you know, the more it'll work to his benefit. And here we are. I mean, it's just it's not a good thing. But here we are. Uh, David, I don't know who's going to pay the, the hospital bills. I, I know that there are a lot of uninsured people who are going into the hospitals. If anything, this COVID infection is giving us uh, probably the strongest argument for Medicare for all that I've seen in my entire lifetime. And uh, I think that it's swinging. Why? No. We know from public opinion polls, it is swinging public opinion toward Medicare for all. Wouldn't surprise me at all if within four years we have Medicare for all, because this is just nuts. This is a letter that Congressman Pocan sent on July 8th after our conversation on the air on July 7th, I think it was, to uh, Mr. W. Douglas Parker, CEO of American Airlines, and Mr. Scott Kirby, CEO of United Airlines. Dear Mr. Parker and Mr. Kirby, it has come to my attention that both of your airlines are operating flights at full capacity during a global pandemic. This is irresponsible and reprehensible. I encourage you in the strongest possible terms to reconsider your booking practices immediately. And then he goes through some stuff about the, you know, the consequences of COVID and it's killed more people than all our wars. He says, frankly, what are you thinking? You both took a significant bailout from U.S. taxpayers this year to help your airlines. Your thanks? You've decided to cram those same taxpayers like sardines into a twisted Petri dish experiment to maximize your profits. I truly wonder how many of your senior executives would be comfortable flying coach in a middle seat at the back of one of your airplanes. I applaud your competitors at Delta, JetBlue, and Southwest for deciding to protect people. Those airlines are keeping the middle seats open. At the end of this pandemic, passengers will recall which carriers operated as safely as possible and which carriers chose to unnecessarily jeopardize passenger health. I got to tell you, there's no way in hell 
that if I had to fly, that I would fly either American or United probably ever again, given this behavior. Just, you know, my editorial note. That's me speaking, not Mark Pocan. Uh, anyhow, he, he, uh, he signs this Mark Pocan, member of Congress. P.S. It is neither American, in quotes, or standing united, in quotes, with the people who've bailed out your industry, the taxpayers, to throw them under the proverbial flying Airbus to make a few extra bucks. Please reconsider quickly. Amen. Chris Cox is a, uh, a longtime GOP lobbyist. I don't know if he's related to the uh, Cox who married Nixon's daughter, Tricia, or not. I, you know, I don't know if he's, the name you know, kind of flags for me, but Cox told colleagues, this is from a, a piece in Politico magazine, Cox told colleagues in the White House that he was seeking information. Now, keep in mind, he's working in the White House. He got a job in the White House. Cox told colleagues in the White House that he was seeking information on the executive orders that President Donald Trump was readying to issue so he could brief people downtown. In other words, suggesting he wanted to give other lobbyists a sneak peek. Also among Cox's alleged actions, quote, Cox, and this again from Politico, Cox emailed with fellow White House aides and officials in the National Security Council seeking to push along an exemption for Gulfstream to deliver private jets overseas after he had a conversation with General Dynamics lobbyist. He was openly collecting, this, again, from the story in Politico, it's notable he was openly collecting political intelligence for corporate special interests and lobbyists on K Street from deep inside the sanctum of the White House. So then Politico goes to the White House and says, hey, you've got a lobbyist who is now working and the National Security Council inside the White House who's feeding information from the White House to other lobbyists to help them make more money. You got a problem with that. And uh, Judd Deere, the spokesperson for the White House, said, quote, I'm not seeing anything nefarious here. 15 hours later, however, Cox announced that he was resigning. Why wasn't he fired? I mean, this is mind boggling. Joe Biden wrote an op-ed over the weekend. And, you know, it was published in a bunch of newspapers. And one of the lines from his op-ed was, and I quote, and he's paraphrasing, obviously, the Declaration of Independence, but still he, he says, quote, all people are created equal and should be treated equal throughout their lives. End quote. That's Joe Biden. Now, you would think that that's relatively uncontroversial, right? All people are created equal and should be treated equally throughout their lives. You would think that that's a statement of American values. Values that, you know, we still don't fully live out. And some of us still obviously don't fully embrace, but nonetheless, it was a radical idea in the 1770s to say that people could even govern themselves, much less that there was equality among people. And yet, we, you know, every century we move forward a little bit farther. Good thing. So Liz Harrington, who is a spokesperson for the Republican National Committee, went on Fox News on Sunday to speak about Joe Biden's outrageous op-ed in which Joe Biden said all people are created equal and should be treated equally. Honest to God, she went on Fox News to call this out. And here's what she said. 
His party is trying to rewrite history and tear it all down. Now, what did she object to? The word people. In the Declaration of Independence, it says all men are created equal, right? That's what she wanted. She wanted Biden to say all men are created equal. She says his party is trying to rewrite history and tear it all down. And it's very fitting that Joe Biden in this op-ed has the audacity to literally rewrite the greatest foundational document in the history of mankind, the Declaration of Independence. His woke staffers changed it to not all men are created equal, but all people are created equal. And all people are guaranteed equal equality through their lives. This is not a constitutional republic. That's the same radical left socialism that has taken over his party. This is really not just eroding our foundation, but rewriting it and out to destroy it. Apparently, Liz Harrington and the Republican National Committee object to saying that women are created equal to men. Does this have to do with the the right of women to have birth control or abortions? I mean, she, you know, she doesn't elaborate. She doesn't explain why. You can watch the video. There's a piece about it over at rawstory.com if you want to check it out. But it's like, what the hell? And truth be told, I think that this is the sentiment of a lot of conservatives, a lot of, a lot of Republicans, a lot of the conservatives. We used to have women on from, you know, there was this conservative women's group that uh, used to come on this program and talk about how, well, no, women aren't equal to men and they shouldn't be. And, you know, the subtext was, of course, it's okay to discriminate. They were opposed to equal rights amendment. It's okay to discriminate against women in the workplace. It's okay to discriminate against women, you know, when it comes to medical care. I mean, I don't know if that's what she was talking about or what, but this is bizarre. This is the Tom Hartman Program. The Republican Party has become the party of death. Are they going to be able to reinvent themselves? Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Olga in Concord, California. Hey, Olga, what's up? Hi, Tom. Maybe they don't care about lives lost, but what do they care about lost economic activity? I mean, if every person spends 20000 a year minimum, we've lost $2 trillion of economic activity each year from now on until those people are replaced as consumers. How, how well, this can is, they this sustain is, an economy like that? Well, this so is why FreedomWorks is out there is, saying that everybody needs to go back to work. We need to we need to refuse to be locked down. We can't. We have to open the country back up. Yes, um, because, because the they're talking are to suffering. the middle class about the servant class. Yeah, I know. Exactly. But um, suffice to say, but even the poorest person spends twenty thousand on food, shoes. Mm, no, I, don't, I think you know, you've got. The average a year. A year. income for the a bottom year. 50% of Americans is $17,000 a year. Okay, 17 then. Let's shoot for that. Joint, yeah. Hundreds of thousands of people dead. They can't spend money. Right. It's lost right. economic activity. Big right. loss. See, yeah, so you're That's trying to put I'm this saying. in a That's frame that these guys can understand. Yeah, I get yeah. it. I get yeah, it. Good get one, it. Olga. That's Good one. Ticket. Norma in Montgomery, Alabama. Hey, Norma, what's on your mind today? Taxes. <laughs> How many people actually remember that Donald's tax plan, his four-year tax plan, ends December 31st? I don't. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, when they passed this great tax plan when he, when he first became president in 2017, you know, we got the tax break for all of the very rich people. They no longer pay taxes. This is when it was written right. into that budget. The tax break that regular normal people, it was a four-year plan. Okay. Oh, that's right. That's right. If you're rich, it was a forever plan, a forever tax break. 
But if you make under what was it, one hundred fifty thousand or something like that, then your tax your tax break goes away at at the end of uh, Trump's presidency. I guess would be the the first the four years. Way of saying it. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah. January, in this economy, when people start getting paychecks again, they're going to have less money. Okay. Mm. And yeah. then you add to that the people who have been getting unemployment checks, particularly the extra six hundred a week if they ever got it. That is not taxed when they receive it. Next year. All of those people have got to pay income tax on the unemployment benefit checks they have received. And they have, they're not budgeting for it. They, most of them probably don't even know this. I, you know, I used to do right. this. <laughs> okay? Mm. And so they don't understand that next year they're going to have to come up with more tax money when they're actually taking home less. I do not remember whether or not those of us who received the 1200 are going to be taxed on that. If we do, that means federal, state, Social Security, Medicare, I unemployment. I think that was tax-free, but I could be I'm wrong. hoping so. <laughs> yeah. I'm really hoping so. But all of us who are out here, they're not thinking about the fact that when they do start working, uh, when January comes around, Donald Trump's wonderful tax plan ends for those of us who are normal people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you for reminding us of that, of that, Norma. Yeah. Well, uh, well, you you know, people one more. People just don't keep up with what's going on and think about it. They have to deal with it every day. So here in Alabama, in the fall of 2018, they passed a bill for the power company that we would pay 3% to clean up the coal ash ponds for one year. This is now 2020 July. We have never even received a report on whether or not the first coal ash pond has been cleaned up. And at the same time, they're back at the Public Service Commission asking for another increase because they are converting from coal to natural gas. And their proposal includes us paying an increase that will cover 100% of that cost, including equipment, uh, anything required to convert, the interest on the loans, paying off the loans for them and paying the interest on it, all of it, 100% would be put on the people here. People don't pay attention, and they forget about what happened last week and never remember what happened last year or four years ago. And this is these distractions. Everybody right now is scared about COVID, but they need to keep, you know, what will be Mitch, Mitch McConnell's agenda when they come back? Have they passed their bill to take all of that money out of Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security? Bernie Sanders made a speech last week. It's what I call a historic speech, trying to get an amendment to the Pentagon's budget of, what, $800 billion dollars? And he was told by the opposing guy, Inhofe, that there would be no amendments to the Pentagon's budget. Right. There's other stuff going on, people. I'm beginning to think that one of the reasons that Trump is coming down on the school thing is because he knew that would be so big and so explosive and freak out so many people that it would push the Russian bounties for American soldiers off the front page. 
Yeah, probably. And, you know, these governors like in Florida and Texas, they obviously don't care how many of the people they kill. They think they're only going to kill the poor, only kill the elderly. Yeah. Yeah. Here, if you do have to have a voter ID, like you were talking about getting elderly, getting driver's license, there is a fee just to get a voter's, a non-driver's voter ID. A fee. Yep. But anyway, like it's, you said, uh, which get ready to pay should taxes be called a poll next tax. year. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Norma, thanks for the heads up and the reminder. I really appreciate it. Ronald in Portland. Hey, Ronald, what's up? You got a person in the White House that ran on chaos. All of these racist groups that have been running, talking about fracturing this country, and they're calling themselves being disaffected by all of this stuff. Well, everybody keeps, and I appreciate you guys talking about strategy, but there is no strategy if you're running a chaotic agenda. Really, think about Mm -hmm. it. There is no strategy. Everybody's saying, well, he's doubling down. Well, of course he's doubling down because they never had agenda from the first place. They take these art of war and these scorched earth concepts, and if you really look at them, they're all about how to introduce and propagate negative messages to create chaos and, you know, this is what's been done all over the world. I can't understand. Well, that's, that's my, that, that's the, yeah, that's the point I'm making in that, in that op-ed that's up over at Raw Story right now, which is that, that the billionaires back in the, back in the 70s decided, you know, we can't have Americans trusting government because government is regulating us and diminishing our profits. And so we've got, Ameri- we've got to make Americans think that government is evil and terrible so that they will go along with our so-called deregulatory agenda. I mean, you think Republican, what do you think? Smaller government, less regulation, lower taxes. Those three things are purely the agenda of the billionaires. So how does smaller government help somebody who needs health care? How does smaller government help somebody who needs education? Exactly. How does smaller government exactly. help somebody who needs housing? It doesn't, but it helps billionaires to increase their profit while they're killing people. How does less regulation help help the average American? It doesn't. It protects, you know, regulation is what protects the American people. But, you know, less regulation means more profit for billionaires and lower taxes. I mean, you know, most working people are paying a very low tax rate to begin with compared to other countries. But billionaires don't want to pay any taxes. And in fact, most of them don't. See, I'm a frontline health person and I see some of these issues and one of the things that it's just comical when you see everything that this government is doing is just for decorum. You know, okay, they say a fire, Steve O'Bannon, okay, decoratively, that looks great because, oh, and there's a racist. But nobody sees the pathology of what he's doing and subsequently going around the world and trying to whip up the flames of fascism and trying to create yeah. this, this, this economic um, racist engine per- perpetuating well nobody's talking about that nobody's addressing yeah. these bringing orban into the white house yeah the only yeah no i'm, I'm with you really addressed this was bernie sanders he really addressed yeah. he, said, he said you can't you can't you can't uh, uh you can't feel at the top just like a lot of these so-called billionaires with their bleeding hearts said okay we're we're gonna propagate this money in the black university well what good is endowments if you don't have a job to get up there and and do your research and then go and, and, you know, and contribute back to that university. So you can't address the upper echelon without addressing the bottom. They're all are, yeah. are, are, are intermixed together. Yeah, you're spot on, Ronald. Thanks a lot for the call. Thanks for calling in. You know, the simple reality is that these billionaires, these right-wing billionaires, 
who are largely running this country and own the politicians who are running this country only care about themselves. I mean, there's some good billionaires out there. There's some good progressive billionaires out there. But, but these right-wingers who have decided to aggressively get into politics, man, you look at what they're doing. to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Whew, what a day, huh? Betty in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Hey, Betty, what's on your mind? I wanted to bring to your attention how long-term fear costs affect the middle class. They rob them of their little assets they save. I know of five or six within a block of my home, which is like a $250,000 home. My husband is, I'm a widow for 30. Anyway, the point is, our local homes now cost about $120,000 a year for long-term care, for-profit care in the United States which is evident is very poor care since the people are dying right and left in long-term, long-term care homes. Not only that, middle-class people can't leave their wealth to their kids because they've got to pay for this long-term care that they need at the end of their lives. So talk a lot about that. Let people know what is going on and how much it contributes to the inequality which makes us the laughing stock of the world. This is another place where the billionaires looked at Medicaid, which is what pays for that long-term care you're talking about, Betty. And they said, you know, this is paid for. Medicaid comes out of general tax revenue. It doesn't come out of the Medicare trust fund or the Social Security trust fund. And so they're saying, wait a minute, if Medicaid costs go up, our taxes will go up. And we don't want our taxes to go up. I mean, after all, we're billionaires. We, you know, every penny is like, you know, it's got to go into the money bin. And so they configured it so that the only way that an elderly person can get Medicaid to pay for long-term nursing care is by being broke. I mean, you've got to bankrupt yourself, you know. You know, we, we saw this with my mother. She ended up not going into care. But that, those, were the, those were the terms. And you got to be bankrupt for two years before you're eligible. It's nuts. Michael in Los Angeles. Hey, Michael, what's up? When you hear terms like law and order, I know the word law and order, the phrase law and order has been kind of hijacked kind of by the right to kind of, um, you know, mean things along the lines of we got to, in a race away, kind of keep people of color in order and things like that. Crack down on but black I people, wanted, basically, is what, is, what it, is what it meant when Nixon used it. Right, exactly. And it was, it was a Nixonian term. And hippies but, back then, yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. But how can we on the left actually embrace law and order, embrace the term law and order without sounding like right-wing hacks? Because, you know, we had a really violent weekend this last weekend in the United States and a lot of major cities. You know, a lot of people got killed. A lot of them were people of color. A few of them were children. Yeah, this is happening on a regular basis, Michael, and has forever, basically, you know, where you have uh, systemic poverty and systemic racism, you're going to have systemic crime. And it's a feature, not a bug of the system, frankly, in my opinion. But the simple fact of the matter is that far more people are dying of COVID than are dying, you know, in the streets of our big cities, number one. And number two, if you're looking for, if you want to language this, the word that you should use instead of the phrase law and order is justice. Because frankly, without justice, you don't have law and you don't have order. You have, I mean, law and order is, you know, code for repressive police state. Justice is a whole different thing. Justice is a concept that at, you know, this country and other democracies around the world, at the very least, give, give strong lip service to. Law and order is, is, is uh, you know, George Wallace. Law and order is 
uh, banana republic. Law and order is Erdogan's turkey. Rand in Chicago. Hey, Rand, what's up? Hi, I was just listening to your program, and my life seems to fit a lot into the things you're talking about. My brother and my sister and I all have cancer. They died. I didn't. But we lived in the area where there were a lot of garbage dumps and methane. And we saw times mm-hmm. when it rained and took the paint off of people's cars. And Whoa. So you and had factories you know, or waste disposals or, or uh, power plants just upwind from you? All of the above. The paint plant, steel yeah. mill, and um, cadmium dump from the city of Chicago. They all dumped out there. And I'm the only one that's still alive. My brother and sister both died young. And, you know, I just can't figure out what's going on. I've lived through a lot of prejudice. Went to a school with Caucasians, and we'd have to fight. Now, the younger guys were my friends, but their brothers would wait for us after school to jump on it. And... My life is, I'll write you a book, okay? That's the best I can yeah. do. Yeah, I'd love to read it, Rand. I have a multiple myeloma. I can't really oh. go out because I've had uh, chemotherapy. My wife goes mm. in the store. I have to wear a mask anytime I go around anyone else. So, I don't know. It's depressing, but it's not depressing because I'm still alive. Well, a lot of people aren't. I've had yeah. brain surgery yeah. because I had... Uh, meningioma. They don't know where that came from. I've had multiple myeloma. They can't tell me where that came from. But I think it's all from living in the neighborhood I lived in. Yes. A long history to this, Rand. There have been books written about it, about how over the last 200 years, uh, as the Industrial Revolution ramped up, in particular since the 1840s, 1850s, really in a big way, that everything from steel mills to waste disposal sites were almost always sited near largely African-American or Native American communities, and now increasingly Hispanic communities as well. And uh, because in the minds of the wealthy white owners of these businesses, those were disposable communities. And it's still the case today. And it's and in fact, down in uh, Texas, Louisiana, you got all these refineries. And if you look at the wind patterns, you know, winds, prevailing winds always go from west to east because the planet rotates from east to west. And if you look at the prevailing winds out of out of the Galveston area and all those refineries down there, all the way over to Louisiana, what you see is this wide stretch about 200 miles north to south that goes maybe uh, you know 100 miles, 150 miles east to west or west to east rather uh, that they refer to as Cancer Alley because people people down there are dying of cancer like there's just no tomorrow. Uh, Rand, thank you for sharing your story with us. Thanks, thank you for the call, and thanks for listening to WCPT. Uh, I'm sorry we're hitting a break here, but uh, we're hitting the end of the show, actually. <laughs> but, uh, wow, I wish you the very best, uh, Rand. I really do. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get inside your Democratic Party, huh? They're still doing business. It may be virtual. You can do it from home. You don't even have to leave. Let's get inside the Democratic Party and make some real change and start talking about however you're hearing this show on your social media. Tag your it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 